Hello, and welcome to the Chris Yeh Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh. In today's episode, I have an interview with fellow mental samurai Ben Bergstrom, the big winner from episode nine of Mental Samurai. Ben is the last winner and finalist to be revealed before the May 21st season finale. And Ben and I were able to catch up. We had a great conversation. This ended up being the longest interview I've done yet. And that's because of a couple of things. First of all, Ben was a part of Team Tuesday, which is the group of people I really got to spend the most time with. Second of all, Ben's story is absolutely fascinating, both in terms of how he ended up on the show, the path of his life, including his adopted parents and his birth mother. We'll talk about a lot in the interview. And then some of the things that actually happened during his run. He actually thought for about five minutes that he'd lost, and he's fortunate that he got another chance to compete and ended up being able to go all the way and become a mental samurai. So a great illustration of how little things can mean such a big difference and can make the difference between success and failure. I know you're going to enjoy this interview, so let's just go ahead and jump straight to it. Hey, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. Chris, my pleasure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. So one of the reasons why I was so looking forward to this, besides the fact that I'm getting to interview a fellow mental samurai, congratulations. Thank you. Right back at you. Is because you were a part of what I call Team Tuesday. So a lot of people don't realize this, but the show was shot across multiple days and a bunch of people get together on a particular day and are basically imprisoned together for 16 to 18 hours and you really develop strong bonds during that time and then you were a part of team tuesday are you not i was i was a part of team tuesday and i was also a part of team i think it was saturday sunday um so i had two groups of inmates that i became very close with (laughs) were there any folks from team saturday or team sunday that made it on the air i'm sure there were a couple of interesting folks there there were, there were. I missed one of the episodes, but Marley, the flight attendant, who was just in episode nine, was part of the uh, team, Sa- I'm going to call it Saturday just because I can't remember what day it was, but I'm going to call it team Saturday. Uh, she was part of that team. And then there was also, uh, I don't know if you caught the guy who looked like Magnum PI. He was in a lot of promos and he had- Zach. Yes, I remember him. Zach. He was. Uh, he was also on the first day of shooting as well. Um, And they were both really great people, as you know, was pretty much everyone that I ran into. Yeah, it was one of the things where I felt like the casting team had done a good job of bringing in people who were both very smart and interesting, but also nice people. I mean, there were folks who came in who had a lot of game show experience. They didn't lord it over us and say, I've been on Jeopardy and who wants to be a millionaire? No, everyone was just very cool. You know, and that's something I found really interesting. And I was wondering if you had a thought about this as well. Um, I found that after we finished shooting, I was sort of going through my head and thinking, what are the similarities between all of the people who were successful on this show? And you just mentioned one, which I think is the biggest one, was that especially in our, you know, grand champion finale group, everyone was incredibly nice and kind. Yeah. And I think that I would say that a big part of it, and I'll go with our fellow contestant and Team Tuesday member, Joey Gutman, and credit him for this, which is the way Joey described it. And he is one of those veterans because he's been on Mental Samurai now and he was previously on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and Jeopardy. Mm. But what he said was, you know, when you're trying to answer questions like this, the most important thing is to be in a relaxed mode, because if you are tense, your brain paths are going to seize up and you're not going to be able to access the information when you want it. And we saw that a number of times this season when people were stuck on a difficult question and the pressure just cranks up and you realize they're not going to be able to get it because it's just so hard to reset. Absolutely. And I think that, And I think that people who are nice, who are friendly, who are open – are going to do better because they'll be in a more relaxed mode. We're imprisoned for 16 hours instead of just stewing and thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do when I get on? You're focused <laughs> instead on, oh, well, what's your story? Uh, for example, you and I sat together. And I remember I was making a concerted effort to get to know everyone. And I remember sitting down and, and hearing your story and thinking, wow, that's really interesting. 
Although some people, I had to drag it out of them a little bit. Right, of course. So Team Tuesday has done very well. And I think that I've mentioned that Team Tuesday includes folks like Dr. Jackie, who is a fellow mental samurai and will be in the finale. People like Ryan Jones, uh, people Mm -hmm. like Matt Potts, the Marine, and many others. And again, I just feel like very fortunate to be a part of such a great group of people. Absolutely. Me as well. I I think it was really, really amazing to be sequestered with such an eclectic, intelligent and worldly group. I mean, you know, we had astronauts and professional athletes and Olympic gold medalists. And I mean, Mensa, I can't even count the number of Mensa. I don't know what you call them, but Mensa members, people. I think. Yeah, well, members, but, but, yeah, but very prominent Mensa members, as a matter of fact. So yeah, that was incredible. It was. I just thought that was so cool to, to be around all of that, I don't know, personality and brain power at the same time. It was really fascinating for me. Yeah. Now, one of the fascinating things one of the producers or production people told me is he said, you know, we do all this work with the ninjas on American Ninja War. And he said, wow, you guys are totally different than the ninjas because the ninjas are there going, oh, I'm going to go out there and crush it. Oh. And he said, you guys are sitting around chatting, playing games. It's a totally different vibe. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I remember hearing that. And that sounds totally right. But it also sounds like something that kind of fits the nature of our competition versus American Ninja Warrior, where we're not, you know, we don't have to be physically pumped up. We actually have to kind of be the opposite. We have to be as Zen as possible in order to succeed. Yeah. And we're definitely going to cover that when we talk about your run, because you and I did something very similar, which was to say, you know what, this is a game that's all about getting all the answers right. And getting all the answers right is going to be more difficult than speeding through. And we're going to double check and we're going to take our time. We're going to be Zen about it. And we'll definitely cover that in much greater detail when we talk about your run. Sounds good. Now, let's get into your story, because what's really funny is people who just watch the TV show, they see your hometown package and your introduction and they hear, oh, this is Ben Bergstrom and he's a bartender. And they reshot your intro in these different ways to make it seem like you were fumbling the intro. What was it really like? And because I remember when we talked, you said, oh, I think they're probably going to go with the Eagle Scout angle. And instead, it turned out very different. Yeah. Um, So when I shot that intro, um, you know, as I'm sure you saw, they had it make it they made it look like, you know, I was having all these difficulties with you know, understanding how a camera works and and how to be, you know, how to give an interview. But of course, I'm an actor as well as a bartender. I have much, uh, plenty of experience with with cameras and with with these kinds of things. And so, it was not issues that were real. You know, it was, and this is the case with reality television that it's all up to the editor to create the narrative. You know, and so they interviewed me for probably. I want to say 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And, and I always wanted to get it down to a tiny little sound bite. And so they say, oh, can you start over? We're having a camera trouble here. Or, Oops, sorry, you're out of frame. Or, hey, your forehead's getting a little shiny. Can you just rub the oil off your forehead? You know, typical camera tricks that they have you do. And then uh, what they ended up doing was instead of splicing together the good parts, they decided to splice together the bad parts that you would normally cut out of an interview. Um, and so uh, that was uh, that was how the intro ended up looking, which was interesting that they decided to go that way um, because they had talked so much to me about being an Eagle Scout and about how that was going to help me be prepared for, men- which is of course the Boy Scout motto for mental samurai, and uh, and then they ended up completely cutting all of that out. Well, it's like they say, the editing room is the final director's cut. That's really where the scripting happens. That's where all of this stuff happens. And it's amazing what you could do in editing. And I will point out, while people often call it reality television, the official term is unscripted. Yes, this is true. This is very true. (laughs) So you mentioned an important fact, which is that you're an actor. And I know from reading some other things about you that this was almost something of destiny and yet you fought against that destiny for a long time. So why don't you take me through your childhood and your journey, which led you to curving around to, if you will, the family business. 
Absolutely. Well, this is going to wander a bit, so forgive me. But uh, so we'll start with the fact that I'm adopted. And on the show, they actually, and I caught it, it was interesting. Amy, who was uh, listed as my mom, is actually my birth mother. Um, and they, I think for clarity's sake, or just to not open up a, a whole can of worms, even edited out me saying, oh yeah, my birth mother is here with me. And then edited it down to just saying, oh, my mom is here with me. Um, Amy, as some people pointed out, uh, is a, a face that people recognize. She's an actor out here in Hollywood as well. Um, her most, I think, notable role in recent memory is uh, playing Donna on The Office, one of Michael Scott's girlfriends. Um, but she's also had a number of of series and she just finished up shooting with Jason Alexander, a series called The Road and tons of, tons of acting credits and stuff like that. Her full name is Amy Peets. If you check her out on IMDb, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so, 70 credits, as I recall. That sounds about right to me. Yeah. Um, so, and she's just been cranking it out since basically when I was born. Uh, but when she got pregnant with me, she was a waiter in Chicago who had just finished acting school um, was 22 when she was pregnant with me, had me at 23, um, and just had no way to financially or, you know, even emotionally support a child. Um, and so put me up for adoption and, uh, through a couple of personal connections, I was given to, uh, my parents, John and Brenda Bergstrom, uh, who raised me in South Salem, New York, my hometown. And they, through their personal connections, uh, we're also both actors. So I was put up for adoption by a brand new actress and was adopted by people who wanted to leave the acting industry in order for the, to, in order to raise a family and, but needed that sort of stability of, of work and money in order to do so. Um, so I was raised by actors and given up for adoption by actors. And then for the next 20 years went after, uh, or attempted at least to become a lawyer. Um, and got far enough into the process where I was doing law internships in college and um, was prepping to take my LSATs. And doing those law internships made me realize that I really did not enjoy working with lawyers. So I was at a bit of a standstill when I was a sophomore in college. Um, and I had to be dating this girl at the time who was an actor and um, was a little scared to audition for Romeo and Juliet by herself. So I said, ah, oh, I'll audition. And I got a part and then I took an acting class and then I took more acting classes and here we are today. You know, one of the things that I said when I found out that you were an actor, I said, ah, that explains it because you are far too handsome to be a regular human being. Uh, it's not that. Well, see, the funny thing is it's actors like everyone else have the same set of skills and abilities as everyone else it just happens to be that they also have this acting ability and usually are remarkably attractive and <laughs> i i freely admit this because i grew up in la and i even did things like i've taken an acting class or two i took one at ucla over the summer and i'm like wow it is almost like a different species of human being than the people that i'm used to spending time with uh but it it's it's yeah. an accident of genes and and whatnot, uh, and then those people you know have aspirations to be lawyers or doctors or anything else. But then they also have this other element of their life, which, as you saw, the destiny ended up claiming you, as it were. <laughs> it did. It did. So let, tell me about your aspiration to be a lawyer, because we never talked about that particular element of it. What made you think that being a lawyer was going to be a good thing for you? Well, I have always had a really keen sense of justice and equality. Um, and at first I thought that law would be the way to get to that goal. Um, the, the end all goal being, uh, I mean, top dream used to be like Supreme court justice mm. would be my, job that I would, I think that would give me the most option and opportunities to, um, you know, really deal with justice and equality and fairness at a, you know, global scale. Um, but the, the deeper into law and, and, you know, being a lawyer that I got, uh, the more I realized that it wasn't so much about that. Um, unfortunately, it was much more about and this isn't the case for every lawyer or for every area of law, but it was much more to me 
from what I saw about fighting with your coworkers and, and you couldn't have a good, a great relationship with these other lawyers because you had to kick your ass on Monday in, in court, you know? Um, and that just wasn't something that appealed to me. I didn't want to not like the people I worked with. Yeah. You know? No, I hear you. And, you know, notwithstanding the fact that you know, we have, I'm sure both of us have friends who are lawyers who are pretty happy with the profession. Joey Gutman seems pretty happy with the profession. The fact is the legal profession has some of the highest rates of alcoholism, substance abuse, suicide, clinical depression of any profession out there. And I'm glad that you didn't take that path. Yeah, I'm glad as well. Yeah. <laughs> so you are in college and you suddenly realized, oh my goodness, lawyering is nothing like it seems on television or in the movies. And this is a terrible idea. And you make the shift mm -hmm. to acting. Did you change your majors? How did you end up coming out here to Hollywood? Sure. Well, my major in college was philosophy, um, which is actually the, the highest scoring major on the LSAT. Um, not that I went into philosophy for that reason, um, but that happened to be the case. And you don't really have to have any certain major to be an actor um, if you're going to go to acting school after the fact, which is what I did. So um, philosophy kind of lent itself to acting as well. Um, it was really, for me, uh, the study of why people do what they do. And that's something that's always interested to me and something that, you know, I think is equally applicable to law and acting. Um, you know, there's that sense of getting in character, but then there's also that sense of, um, as a lawyer, you know, understanding why your client did what they did or trying to voir dire a jury and trying to understand who might go, you know, along with your telling of the story, whatever the case may be. So that was really what interested me, um, initially. Uh, and then, uh, I, you know, like I said, I, I got into acting and, and did Romeo and Juliet and a couple other things and did a little directing in college. And my parents were really great about this. They were, they've always been incredibly supportive of any and all career or life opportunities that I've ever sought out, which is fantastic. Um, so as soon as I said, yeah, I'm kind of enjoying acting, maybe I'll think about going to acting school after this. Um, they immediately did a ton of research and looked into acting schools in New York because I grew up about 45 minutes north of New York City. Um, and we found this great one called the William Esper Studio, um, which allowed me to be a part-time acting student uh, while living at home, commuting into the city, and working a good uh, tutoring job that would help me pay for all these acting classes. Um, so that kind of, after two years, uh, Finished up. Uh, it was just a two-year program, and um, through my birth mother, then got a manager out in LA, and uh, that that brought me here. Now that's that's fascinating because one of the things that we sort of glossed over there is I'm just very curious. You know, how did you end up reconnecting with your birth mother? Was she an, an open adoption throughout or was there a dramatic moment when it was revealed to you, oh, this is your birth mother? You know, this is a really fascinating topic for me. I love talking about adoption because I think my parents did it in such an intelligent way. Um, it was not technically an open adoption, but it wasn't a closed adoption either. Um so the way that it kind of worked from their perspective was uh, they would write letters back and forth uh, once a year while I was growing up with a little like, hey, here's what Ben is up to. And, and Amy would write back and say, hey, that's great. Here's what I'm up to. And, and so they would have a connection there, but it wasn't a direct connection between Amy and myself. Um, and there was never a time where I was sat down and told, hey, you're adopted and that's what this means. It was something that was always told to me. I, I, know, I don't have a memory of being told that. I mean, for me, it was like growing up and being told you're left-handed, you know? It's not, it's not a thing that you have to be told necessarily because you are always told that you're left-handed. So that's kind of what a, being adopted was like for me growing up. Um, and of course, there are, I've actually been reading a little bit about adoption recently, and there are all these fascinating things that adopted children go through that uh, biologically uh, the children raised by their biological parents don't go through. And it's, it's fascinating the way it works out. 
Um, but that was kind of my story with it was that I was always told I was adopted. Um, that was never a secret. Um, and there was no question that was off limits either. There was no time when I had to be like, oh, I don't know what that means. I mean, I actually, I remember in first grade um, talking to people about what adoption was and talking to classmates and they'd say, oh, well, did your mom not want you? And I'd be like, no, that wasn't the case. It was that she was extremely young and didn't have enough money or time or uh, whatever the case may be to raise a child. And so my parents adopted me. And I mean, I always had that knowledge and those answers. And, and my parents were so great about providing me all the information I could possibly want. Um, so that was sort of the, you know, up until 18, that was kind of my, my life with adoption was that I hadn't had any direct contact with Amy um, and, and hadn't sought it out myself. Um, I think that a lot of times adopted people feel this kind of hole in themselves they, they feel a sense of man there's a part of me that that doesn't belong in this group of people um and maybe if i find my birth parents i'll find that sense of self that i'm missing um and i was really lucky i grew up with very intelligent uh very emotionally intelligent actors turned you know uh, nine to fivers so i i never felt like i didn't belong with them we always had a lot in common. Um, it was always a really, you know, I, I could see myself in them. I saw a mirror of myself in them. Um, and so when I turned 18 and I was a freshman in college, uh, I got a Facebook message from Amy saying, hey, I'm going to be in New York. I'm going to be doing, you know, this play. I'd love to come and visit you at college and, and meet you. Um, and I, I thought about it and I was like, yeah, you know what? That sounds pretty cool. Um, I'm super down for it. Come on up and, uh, and we'll get to know each other a little bit. Um, so I met her at my school. Uh, she came all the way. It was, it's actually like an eight hour drive from New York city to my college with both of which are in New York state. Um, uh, but my college is up near Buffalo mm -hmm. area. Um, so yeah, so she came up and, and we met and we kind of had a, a relationship since then, um, that stayed pretty, mild i'd say maybe we talked once a month or something like that um for a couple of years and then i moved out to la and i actually i moved in with her um and when i was shooting mental samurai i was living with her yeah that is one of the fascinating things which i'm like wow it's a shame they're not talking about this on the air because it is absolutely remarkable uh, yeah. now it sounds like you you've got your own place now is that right Yes. Yeah. I actually just moved in with my girlfriend. Uh, so I'm out here in Studio City. Congratulations. And presumably winning $100,000 will help pay for some of those bills as well. <laughs> That's the hope. Yeah. I, I think it'll be a very nice little flotation device. Yes. Of course, none of us have received the money yet. As I noted when I was interviewing Nathan, I'm like, so you got married? And he said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I still haven't got the money yet. But he's going yeah. to be uh, using that money to help him pay for his graduate school, which is very cool. Very cool. You know, and I think Nathan's story was really interesting, too. And I don't know if anyone noticed this. Uh, well, I guess it wasn't on camera, but Jackie, being a, a doctor um, who I believe went to Harvard. Yes. Um, had offered Nathan help with uh, getting into med school for Harvard, if that was something that interested him. Wow. That is, I didn't, I didn't catch that. And obviously that wasn't on camera, but that is fantastic. And, you know, I think that it, it turns out that Nathan's not as interested in medical school. He wants to be a physician's assistant, doesn't want to take on the extra couple of hundred thousand dollars of debt. Right. But you know, that's great connection right there. Yeah, absolutely. And now you're out here in Hollywood, you're pursuing a career as an actor, you're acting in various things. Where does this show fit into all of that? Was it just a lark or was it, oh, you know what? This is a great way to get my name out there. <laughs> Help me think this through. It's interesting. I, I think this is something that people who see game shows don't realize, but almost every game show will cast, which means that they will use casting websites to say, hey, are any actors interested in this? Or, you know, you have to have a, quote, real job to apply. Um, but if you are, come on down. 
Um, and so when I first came out to LA, which was about two years ago now, um, I was submitted to be on a dating show um, and didn't get cast for it, which was fine by me. It didn't really interest me. But since then, I have been, you know, I probably receive two emails a month asking if I want to do X dating show or Y game show or whatever the, the, the new flavor of the month is. So I think that these casting offices probably just keep a list of people who have replied positively to any kind of reality show or rather unscripted television show. Mm -hmm. um, and then just sort of reach out to these people again and again. Um, and I know that with our game show with mental samurai, they did a lot more actual real person casting than I was expecting. Um, these other game shows, they, they do use a lot of actors. That's not, um, you know, a mistake. It's that there are so many people in LA who want to be on camera and the easiest way to reach them is through a casting website like actors access or um, casting networks or any of these bigger sites that all the actors are a part of in order to apply to more traditional acting roles. So um, I was asked to apply for this game show. I got an email one day um, and you know, I didn't have anything going on at the time. I was like, yeah, whatever. I might as well apply. Um, and then just sort of found myself getting further along in this process. It kind of, it almost felt like it got away from me a little bit. I, I hadn't really thought, oh man, I guess I'll do a game show. I wasn't, it wasn't something I was really, really gunning for, you know, um, cause I don't know if it will actually have any bearing on my acting career. Um, but, uh, you know, I did my Skype interviews and I did my phone interviews and I sent in some pictures of me and when they pitched me and I guess they cast me. Well, that's fantastic. A couple of notes there. First of all, just in your episode, there are other folks like Courtney Corder and Eric Schroeder, who I think also came in through some of the same route. I mean, Eric Schroeder, they list him as a tennis pro, which he is, but he also is an actor, has appeared on soap operas and done various other things. Sure. And so it is very natural that folks in LA, I mean, there's other folks uh, like Nancy Jo Perdue. She was like listed as a journalist. That's true. But she moved to LA a dozen years ago and has been an actor and stand-up comedian. So right. they like having that real job angle, but you know, they also like having people who know what to do when they're on camera. Well, and that is a key thing to learn. It's not something that, you know, you're necessarily born knowing how to do is, is how to be on camera or how to even just be likable and, and personable and not stare the camera straight down the lens, you know? Um, so it's the, it's the skill that you learn out here in LA, how to be on camera, I think. Um, and, and that's uh, something that not everyone knows how to do because it is something you can learn, but it's something that you have to learn how to do. Well, you may have been too busy to catch my episode, which is episode seven, but I don't know if you did, do you have any tips, any valuation for my performances? I've never done this before. And so I'd always like to learn from the pros. I, unfortunately, I missed your episode as well. Um, I, from what I've seen online, uh, think you did a great job of being very personable and very uh, energetic, which I found super fascinating. I think it's, it's made your appearances really fun to watch. Well, thank you. And it is authentic in the sense that I am very energetic and positive just in general. But then it's very different to have the, the lights on you. And so well, we'll, we'll see. You can also evaluate it during the finale, which I assume you will be watching with bated breath, as am I. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the other thing about the, the casting process and everything like that is – it feels like once you've done one of these, then you're on some other kind of list because the number of contestants that we met who had been on Jeopardy, who wants to be a millionaire, The Chase, the list goes on and on. And sometimes when I interview oh, yeah. them, they're like, oh, there were these three other game shows I was on too. So, Yeah, I feel like almost every other person came from at least one other game show experience. Um, I think that that is something that they do. I think that they keep a list of people who have done game shows, people who have, you know, you know, come to think of it, this is a new thought, but it's almost like having an acting resume. People want to see that someone else liked you enough to put you on TV um, and that you had enough of a personality that you're not going to be a dud when you get on, on screen. They don't want to waste production budget on, you know, someone who's not interesting. Um, and so having previous game show experience can show that you're actually not boring. <laughs> 
Yeah. Now what I heard and what I'd heard from various folks, the only downside for some of the contestants who might want to do more of this is it obviously helps to either be in Los Angeles or New York to do these various things. And being local, I know during the casting process, they actually told me, hey, say that you're local and that'll help you get in. I'm like, well, you know, I grew up in Santa Monica, so I am local in that sense. So sure. Why not? Interesting. I didn't know that they told you to say that. They did. They absolutely did. And I said, well, I can always, I mean, if really, I don't think it makes a difference to the production budget, but it's not like it costs a lot to fly me down. And if I needed to stay with my family who still live in Santa Monica, I could do that. But of course, we were all sequestered as if we were jurors on a murder trial. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the final thought I had was, you know, if you enjoyed this first experience, maybe you'll end up going back. And don't forget, Rob Lowe, one of his first appearances is as a contestant on the $10,000 pyramid where he won money. And that I mean, maybe full circle, maybe in 20 or 30 years, we're watching a Mental Samurai reboot with our special host, Ben Bergstrom. Maybe. Hey, I wouldn't say no. So let's uh, let's delve into your run because we've been going for half an hour. And I have no idea how long I can keep you for. And I know just talking through how the, the run actually went takes some time. So you are there. Uh, you get you get put. I think you got put in a group that was slightly before mine. And this is an interesting backstage note. While you were going through your run, I was actually shuttling back and forth between makeup and wardrobe so I could occasionally see you on the monitors and hear the crowd cheering. So that was really cool. Yeah, that I found that really exciting when we were backstage because, you know, they didn't allow many. I think maybe two or three people were allowed to kind of have a sense of what was going on um, out of the contestants. They really tried to keep us as in the dark as possible. Um so it was really fascinating when you actually got to see the game happening because it, it was not it was not common. Not at all. Did you get a chance to watch anyone else go through it before you went on? I did. I watched uh, two people go through it. I actually saw Marley go through it um, and saw her get, you know, take me out to the ball game song to her which I felt so bad for her. I was like, oh gosh, she's never going to be able to hear this song again. But um, when that moment happened, you know, you would think to yourself also, all right, this is making it onto television. There's no question she's going to yeah. make it to air. <laughs> That's true. Very true. Um, so yeah, I saw her go and then I, I saw another uh, girl go who I think was named Chelsea, but I don't think made it to air. Mm. Um, but she was a professional uh, bull rider. Oh, Jordan. That was Jordan. Oh, Jordan. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah. So I saw them go. Um, but that was all I really got to see. Yeah. Jordan ended up getting montaged, which is better than being cut entirely, but it's still disappointing. It was funny because I did interview Jordan. She and I had spent a bunch of time together as well. And we actually had breakfast the day after shooting our initial runs. And she said, you know, I feel bad about not getting through, but most of all, I really wanted to ride Ava more. That was a lot of fun. I'm like, it was a lot of fun for you, maybe. It wasn't fun for me. Oh, you didn't find it fun? No, but I am not a roller coaster guy. I hate roller coasters. Oh, I see. I swear that it feels like they swung me around more than other people, but that might just be the fact that I'm not good at dealing with the, the roller coaster <laughs> things. I'm like, look, that's much harder. They're swinging me much harder, but... Probably just uh, probably just illusion. Well, it was a very bouncy ride, that's for sure. Yeah. It was not. So there you are. You have gone ahead. You saw Marley. You saw Jordan run, and now they are strapping you into the chair. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Um, you know, I I think at this point when it when it's going up and and we're getting strapped in and ready to go, uh, I was definitely nervous. But I was trying my very best to just like, you know, take deep breaths and and meditate as much as I can with my eyes open and and all these other little things. Because for me, my strategy going in was just to stay as calm as possible and to to not, you know, give in to the stress or the pressure of, uh, of the scenario, because the questions are not hard. It's the stress that's hard. Exactly. The questions, in fact, are generally pretty easy, although some are difficult. It's just that getting every single question right, 
and getting them right into the deadline and getting them right while you're being thrown around, that's what makes it challenge. Exactly. Yeah. So they strap you in. And one of the things that you say in the interview with Rob, and of course, Rob interviews all of us for much longer. They cut it down and use like one twentieth of it or something like that. Right. But you said, you know, my strategy here is I'm not going to rush through them. I'm going to take my time. And that really, I think, came through. And sounds like that was intentional. It was. It was to a degree. Um, I... It, I I think the trick is finding that balance between not rushing, but not, you know, taking your sweet time with it because you don't have all that much time. You know, it works out to about 25 seconds per question, not including movement. So, you know, you, you're going to be moving around for five to 10 seconds uh, in the chair. You really have to be answering these questions in 10 seconds or so. Um, but there's also this, this issue with, you know, rushing your way through it. I mean, we saw it time and time again, where someone would, you know, uh, actually in this past episode, I forget who it was, but they, Boris. they said, Boris, right. Said Manhattan instead of spelling Manhattan. Um, and you know, these issues just, it knocked everyone out. If you, if you couldn't find the right balance between it. So I definitely wanted to, um, take my time with it and really get these questions right. But I definitely didn't want to run out of time. I think that would have felt even worse. Yeah. And my own philosophy going into this, because, you know, I actually got to watch, I I got to watch Clayton go and Donovan and Joey and Stella. And these are very tough competitors. And I saw, wow, you know, they, they ended up not being able to get through. Some of these are really hard. I was, as I was watching, downgrading my chances of getting all 12 correct. And I thought to myself, okay, what I want to do is I'm going to optimize for getting on the air because it would kill me if I flew down to Los Angeles, was sequestered like a murder juror and didn't even make it to the air. Right. And so I said, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to fully buy into the talk it out strategy that the producers wanted to push on us because it's good television. And yeah, it is helpful for some people. But it really is because it's good television. I'm like, I'm going to give the producers what they want. I'm going to talk the crap out of things. And (laughs) that way, when inevitably I probably get something wrong, at least I'll have a decent shot of getting on the air. Uh, You know, I knew I was handicapped because my own story, my hometown package is not as compelling as many of these other ones. You may remember that they sort of portray me, which is correct, as child prodigy and you know, I, I, I hate roller coasters and I'm an author and those are all great, but they're not the same as I'm overcoming cancer or I was the first person in my family to go to college and now I'm a doctor and I'm like, Oh man, I'm, I really gotta, I really gotta do well in order to get on here. Sure. I know that feeling. That's, that makes a lot of sense. So you get in and you, the other thing that I notice is they do some reaction shots. They cut to your birth mom quite a bit during your run. Yeah. And the first thing I saw was I'm like, wow, Ben's mom looks really young and really attractive. What's up with that? <laughs> and uh, Little did I know I would later learn. Well, yes, that's because she is very young for having a child Ben's age. And she is, in fact, a famous actress. So it makes sense that she looks very attractive and young. Um, but she had these amazing reaction shots. And the funny story there is my sister actually came to the taping. And so they had her in that little sequestered room. Yeah. And they used zero of that footage. And I know it's because she was just terrible on television. She's very photogenic, but she is not very emotionally expressive. But the grand irony is they've used her reaction shots to other contestants on like five or six different episodes. Really? Wow. But not for me. Because <laughs> that's, the, that's the being on air thing, right? And she worked in the industry. She was a PA for Baywatch and ER. She's been a script supervisor oh, wow. for multiple independent films. She's been on sets. But when the lights were on her, she couldn't deliver. Of course, your birth mom knew how to deliver. Yeah. And actually, uh, after the run was over, um, we talked about that. I actually tried not to go- to buy into the talk it out strategy because I saw people talk it out for too long. Yep. I saw them up time on a question they already knew the answer to just saying, 
oh, I know the answer because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. So the answer is A, Jennifer Aniston, lock it in, rather than just saying, Jennifer Aniston, lock it in, you know? Um, so I, I kind of bought into this idea of, well, it doesn't matter too, too much to me if I make it on TV. What matters more to me is if I win some money here. Um, so I'm going to take my, you know, emotion and, and, and intense, like, uh, vibrance out of it and just focus on getting these questions right. And I think Amy must have known that I was doing that and therefore amped up her to get it on air. She automatically compensated. She was like, oh, Ben is focused here. Okay, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to make sure that they got all the reactions they need to make this good television. Yeah, exactly. Well, she did a fantastic job of that. And as you would expect from someone with over 70 stage and screen credits, the camera loved her. Yes. Yes, it did. <laughs> now, there was this one moment during the run, and this, I thought, was like the key to everything, where you're doing that missing piece question, and you're about to give the wrong answer, but then you catch yourself. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly, I had some more interesting questions that, that missed, that got switched out. Um, during the run. So that didn't stick out to me very much when I was thinking back on it until I watched the show. And that's, you know, that obviously made it to air. Um, that was, uh, that was kind of just a case of honestly, I mean, divine intervention, luck, whatever you want to call it. But I, at the very last second, and you couldn't see based on the camera angle, but I had my hand on the lever and was, and had just started to pull it down when I, when I noticed, Oh wait, that's, that's not right. Her arm is in that shot, but it's not in the missing piece. And so it just was complete luck that that saved me there. Wow. That is even more dramatic than I, I, I didn't realize because of the camera angle. So if you said that you'd already almost started to pull the lever. So that is truly a last second save. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was very close. Absolutely. And you mentioned something really interesting, which is that they swapped out some of the questions and you mentioned when we were going back and forth before we recorded this uh, on just coordinating this, you said, you know, they actually accidentally asked you 13 questions. Tell us more about that behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, uh, I and I didn't realize that it happened until I went back and watched the episode. But um, one of the things that they told us was, you know, we've vetted these questions. We've we've answered them to the best of our ability, but we've assembled a room of geniuses here. So you might answer a question in a way that we do not expect. And your answer might technically be right, even though it's not the one we're expecting. So if that is the case, we will evaluate and we will either, uh, you know, throw the question out. We will have you restart. We will, you know, whatever the case may be. But if we determine that you answered the question correctly or in a manner that could be considered correct, um, then we will you know, move forward and we won't eliminate you immediately. So um, my 11th question was about state capitals. Um, it was, you know, ranking these capitals in, in order from most Northern to uh, most Southern. And it was um, Juneau, Alaska, Des Moines, Iowa, and Tallahassee, Florida. And it had pictures of the three states mm -hmm. up there. And so the answer that they were looking for, of course, was from north to south would be Juneau, Des Moines, and Tallahassee. Um, but I uh, saw the pictures of the states and thought that they meant north to south in the states, which reverses the order. Mm. Uh, Juneau being all the way in the south of Alaska, Tallahassee be all, being all the way in the north of Florida, and Des Moines being somewhere in the middle. Um, so luckily this was where I talked through my experience and said, oh, hmm, okay. So I know that Juneau is in the Southern part of the state. I believe Des Moines is in the middle and, you know, boom, I pull the lever. I get it wrong. I go up and Rob says, Ben, what happened there? I mean, reread the question. What do you think the answer is now? And I said, oh, duh. Okay. You just wanted to know where they are in the, in global terms, not in terms of the state. So obviously the answer is reversed. Um, so I, you know, they swing me back down. Rob says, well, good job. It was fun having you. I say, thanks. And they swing me down and, and then the lift doesn't come back up to take me out of Ava. And it's, I'm sitting there for a couple minutes and I hear the producer's voice in my ear 
saying, hey, Ben, we're going to uh, challenge that question for you and assess what the situation is here because that is a fair way to answer it. And so I'm sitting there for, for five minutes, 10 minutes, and then I hear, hey, okay, Ben, so we're going to have you uh, redo that question to say the answer is if you got it right, lock it in, and we're going to keep going with the run. Um, so they, they challenged for me and assessed that I had in a way that was technically right, but not what they were looking for. Um, and, uh, let me continue the run and then switched out that question with a, I suppose the 13th question and, uh, and yeah. And that is fascinating. Again, that is super dramatic and it's even more dramatic than the run itself where you really never seem to be in doubt. So you actually believe that you had lost for five minutes or so. Yeah, I did. I, I was like, oh, well, you know. That's that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. So there we go. Um, so yeah, I was I was pretty sure that I had lost. So you weren't sitting there swearing. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> no, I think because I had tried to say so then about it, I just wasn't upset at the end of it either. I was like, ah, oh, well, life goes on. You know, I think part of what happened as well in this whole process is when Team Tuesday went we had gotten inklings from the production staff that they were worried that they'd made things too hard because people were not getting through. There were not enough people finishing the course to actually populate the grand finale. And that's why when we shot our day, they told us, Hey, by the way, you know, it is possible that if you do really well, but don't complete the course that you'll still go on to the finale because the furthest far, the furthest farthest might end up being somebody who, didn't necessarily complete the course. And so they were very worried about, are we going to get enough people to fill it out? But then Team Tuesday Power, we came in there and I'm assuming that they did not change the difficulty level of the question because looking at the show itself, watching the episodes, it has felt that the difficulty levels were pretty consistent throughout. Yeah. you you came in, you became a mental samurai. Uh, I went not that long after you got mental samurai. Jackie was right behind me, mental samurai. Matt Potts was there, came in. Ryan Jones came in. And so it basically saved the show from having to bring non-finishers into the finale. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that's something that they told us uh, on the very first day of shooting as well, was that, you know, we don't know how hard this course is. You're our first real test group here. Um, so it's possible, like you said, you know, if you go the furthest fastest, that you will end up in the finale, uh, regardless of whether or not you actually, you know, complete the course. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, part of the reason why they challenged for you is A, that's only fair, but yeah. B, you know, they could tell, hey, wait, this is a really strong contestant. Yeah we should make sure that he has every chance to actually complete it fairly because that's what we need. Yeah. Well, I'm very glad that they did because it definitely worked out in my favor at the end. You know, it's also interesting. One of the other people I'd spoken with Becky Eldridge is one of the people who ran out of time on question number 12. Oh, and yes. earlier on in the week, because of the fact that they weren't sure how many people were going to be on, they actually had her shoot a version of where they said, well, you didn't complete the course, but because your finishing time was such, we're actually sending you on to the finale. And so she had to shoot that. She went, she went, she went in, she shot her sort of like, oh man, so close. And then they called her back and said, hey, can we get you back in to shoot an alternate ending in case we need it? Oh, wow. That must have played with her mind a little bit. Oh, and it was it was tough for her because, you know, here she is. She's really lost. And now she's like, she's got sudden new hope. But they're like, but, you know, don't get your hopes up too much. So it's just a tough situation to be in. Yeah. And, you know, that is interesting because they had initially said that they were hoping to have 12 people in the finale. That that was their ideal number was 12. Um, and they ended up with 11. Yeah. So I'm interested as to why they chose to do that. Well, you know, I I also don't know how they're going to fit all 12 people into the finale because the shows that they've been running, they've been running maybe one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think your episode may have had the most people in it, seven people. And we've got 11 competitors. And guess what? You know, I don't I don't know how many of these competitors are going to go out early. I don't think it's a lot of them. 
And so I don't know how they're going to fit it all in. I was given a little uh, spoiler, which is that one of our Circle of Samurai people does get out on the first question. Oh, wow. So there may be some montaging happening in our episode. Oh, wow. That would be... That would be tough. That would be tough to pitch it. Although, again, everyone, obviously, who's in the grand finale has already had a moment in the sun. But, you know, like I want every drop of attention I can get. I don't know. I'm ever going to do this again. I'm not an actor. I don't have a lot of opportunities to be on TV. Well, I think uh, I think you may get a couple more coming down the pipeline. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed, although we have, a, I think, a one-year period in which we have to ask for permission before doing anything else. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Now, you then go on to the Circle of Samurai, and yeah. that doesn't seem to be a problem at all for you. And really, my main note there is your mom, your birth mom, Amy, was just crushing it in the Circle of Samurai. You can totally do it. And she's like, Samurai. Yeah. She's throwing these signs. I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. I, I wish I had a birth mother sitting in the room doing that kind of stuff for me. Yeah, no, it was it was fantastic having her there. Um, and, you know, beyond being, you know, sort of, because of course you can't hear any anyone who's in that back room there when you're up in the chair, um, she actually was the one who talked me into doing the show after that first day when I didn't get to go. Um, it had been a long day. I was supposed to meet my girlfriend's parents. I was late. I, I just didn't want to bother with it. And, uh, and she talked me in and said, no, you need to do this show. You're going to win. Um, and, uh, I was like, all right, I'll trust you. And she was right. Birth mother knows best. She does. <laughs> so that, that, by the way, you slipped something in there, which I think is very interesting. So the first day you shot, which we think was Saturday, that was the day you were going to meet your girlfriend's parents for the first time. Yeah. Oh uh -huh. my. So, and honestly, that kind of, that I think helped on Tuesday. So what I ended up doing was I, I went up for the weekend to Ojai and, and spent the, the weekend with uh, my girlfriend's parents and met them and had a great relaxing time and came back on Monday and shot on, again on Tuesday, of course. And so I think for me, the most stressful part of the weekend had already been over, you know? So doing a game show, that's easy peasy compared to meeting your girlfriend's parents for the first time. That is fascinating. And uh, I don't know, again, you, you should feel free to share as little or as much as you like, but your girlfriend, does she work in the industry or is she completely outside of it? We met uh, doing a play together uh -huh. in Hollywood. Um, so she is in the industry. She's an actor as well. Uh -huh. Is her name, I don't know if you can reveal it or not, or it may be a secret. It has to be kept out of the tabloids. It's not a secret. Her name is uh, Jessica Moore. Um, I think she and I are probably about the same level. So, you know, faces that you wouldn't really recognize uh, from anywhere, but Yet. hopefully will someday. Yet, exactly. I, for all I knew, you were going to say, oh, you know, uh, yes, uh, I'm afraid I can't reveal this on the air, but it is, in fact, Jennifer Aniston. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that is, is fantastic. So are you going to do it? Did you do anything special for the episode? Did you have a party? Did you spend it with your, your family? How did you do that? I did have a party. Um, you know, the tricky thing was, you know, because of course our, our show airs on Tuesdays. Yes. Um, and I didn't want to tell anybody, hey, come and watch me win this game show. It's going to be really fun. Let's have a party. So I was like, yeah, why don't you just come over on Tuesday? The show's at nine. It'll be over by 10. You know, we'll just have a... a relaxing time here. Um, so I had about 10 people over. Um, and of course it's a Tuesday, so no one was in a drinking partying mood, but I had bottles of champagne and wine and beer. And I made a, I actually am a bartender. So I, you know, I, I made my own bourbon cocktail, um, this cocktail called the gold rush, which I thought was kind of on theme for the night. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, popped the champagne and sprayed it all over the ceiling and the whole thing. But yeah, it was a fun time. That is absolutely awesome. Yeah, I, I held um, a watch party of my own, and a bunch of people were like, you must have won something, otherwise you wouldn't be holding a party. I'm like, never underestimate my desire for attention, folks. 
<laughs> That's a good phrase. I wish I had a line like that. Oh boy. But now we've got the grand finale coming up on Tuesday. Any special plans for that? Oh man. You know, I I don't have any special plans, but I'm also very slow, very late to the game at planning things. I mean, I, I started inviting people over for Tuesday on Monday. So um, I don't have anything set yet. I know that Sam Durbin and Ryan are throwing a party in Chicago that they actually invited me to, which I would love to fly out and go to. Um, but uh, as you said, we don't have that money yet. Well, I will. I'm sure that whatever comes together at the last second will be fantastic. Yeah. And again, wish I could be there as well. But I'm I'm up here in my hometown of Palo Alto, California, and I'll just have my own gathering up here. I've invited fellow contestants in the Bay Area, but sadly, none of the other finale competitors comes from the Bay Area. So I'm like the only one up here. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. It would have been great to have like a Sam and Ryan style party, although I don't think I could possibly match either of them in terms of fabulousness. They are totally kicking my ass. Oh, man. I don't know if you saw any of the little videos from from Sam's party for his episode, but it was a it looked like a blast. I think he he got all dressed up as Brianna Banana and uh, and threw it at a, I guess, a drag club that he performed at occasionally. And they added up on the TVs, and he was just going crazy. It was so fun to watch. Uh, as you, you probably saw, I, I posted in our secret Facebook group for us competitors. Uh, my daughter is really excited about the season finale, not for me, but because she gets to see Sam again. Yeah, well, hey, I, I am with her. He's funny as hell. He is such a great TV person. I love it. I would love to see Sam hosting something. I told him, listen, you know, people called you discount Jonah Hill. You are a way handsomer Jonah Hill. You are kicking Jonah Hill's ass. I agree. Although you, you'll have to retract that if he casts you in one of his movies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Of course. All right. Well, we are almost at the one hour mark and I feel bad for having kept you so long, but I was having such a great time. I couldn't help it. Well, same here. I'm happy to talk to you. It was a blast. Well, one of the things that I always like to do on these is to let people know, hey, you know, if you enjoyed hearing from Ben Bergstrom as much as I did, where can they find you? Obviously, they can go to IMDB and look up Ben Bergstrom, but where else should they look for you? Sure. Yeah. Well, IMDB always works, I suppose. Uh, but my main social media is Instagram. I'm not a big Twitter person. Um, I think I officially have a Twitter. You but do. I you do. I, I congratulated you on your Twitter account, but Instagram is the place to go. It's for you. So what is your Instagram handle? So my Instagram handle is at Bergie Ben, B-E-R-G-Y-B-E-N. At Bergie Ben. Great. And they can follow you there. What are they likely to see? Is it pictures of you on the set or pictures of yeah. you and your girlfriend uh, competing in a trivia competition? What will they see? <laughs> It's a bit of a mix of everything. Um, a couple little bartender things that I've done that I liked, um, some modeling things that I've done, some acting things, uh, you know, little wine country trips, whatever the case may be, just a little snapshot of, uh, of what I've been up to. Wow. Well, if you ever make a trip up to the wine country up north, be sure to let me know when you're coming in. We'd, I'd love to get together and see you again. Absolutely. I for sure will. Someday we will have a grand mental samurai reunion. I don't know how we're going to ma manage to make it happen, but I would love to see that happen. I don't think the network's necessarily going to pay for it, but if we can make it happen, I would really enjoy that. I think we can convince them. I think that'd be pretty fun. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ben, uh, are there any final thoughts, anything else you'd like to leave the audience with? Um. You know, I think my my biggest takeaway from this whole experience was that um, it really pays off to be nice and calm uh, and that that's one of the more important qualities, I think, that human beings can possess. Um, and I think that that was what was so fascinating to me about this whole experience was that um, the nice people and the calm people were the ones who I, you know, really saw succeed um, in this game show. And I think that that might just be the case for life. Well, I think that is a fantastic message to end on. I hope that message gets heard by the political leadership of this country. 
And, oh, <laughs> and uh, Ben, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll probably, like I said, uh, uh, people have really enjoyed the podcast. I will probably keep interviewing folks. I definitely want to come back around and interview a lot of the finalists again after the finale, because we'll have even more to talk about then. Sure. Well, I'm always up for round two. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. Hey, thank you, Chris. Have a great rest of your day. You too. That was Mental Samurai, Ben Bergstrom. What a fascinating story. I loved especially hearing the story of his birth mother, his adoption, and their eventual reunion. That's something that should definitely be its own television show. So that's the last Mental Samurai interview. I'm going to try to continue doing more both before and after the season finale. But if you enjoy this kind of Mental Samurai content, please do like, like, subscribe, and share. Tell your friends about this podcast. Tell your friends to watch the season finale of Mental Samurai on May 21st on Fox, Tuesday, 9 p.m. This may be your chance to make the difference between cancellation and renewal for Mental Samurai. If you want to learn more about me, please go to Chris Yeh on the web. That's chrisyeh.com, C-H-R-I-S-Y-E-H, or follow me on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-Y-E-H, and you can pretty much look for Chris Yeh just about anywhere and find yours truly. Thanks a lot for listening, and talk to you after the season finale.